A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. With a massive move to distributed data architecture, it's essential to have access to all of your data wherever it is. A data mesh emphasizes domain-driven data ownership, data as a product, self-service infrastructure, and federated computational governance, giving you faster time to value without needing to transport your data. Starburst allows you to achieve this distributed architecture by allowing you to run SQL queries across distributed data that connect sources, regions, and clouds. For more information on how your team can benefit from a data mesh strategy, check out our data mesh resource center on our website. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introduction and roundtable programs in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. Bottom line up front, what will you hear about and learn about in this episode? I interviewed Xavier Gumara Rigol, who has been helping to lead Adventa's data mesh implementation as area manager for experimentation and analytics enablement around the data as a product concept and learning from Adventa's journey thus far. Xavier has put out some great articles and did a data mesh learning meetup that are linked in the show notes. One key aspect to data as a product is to understand the need for data product evolution, both relative to maturity and to what is consumed. This is a common theme in many data mesh conversations as historically data consumers and data consumption has really resisted evolution and change. Consumers need to really understand that the business is evolving. So what they will consume from the data side will evolve too. If you manage data products well, it won't be a sudden change, but if we are trying to share insights into a domain, those insights will change. The domain is changing. When thinking about data product maturity as well, it's totally okay to start by thinking of a data product as a single table or view, and then evolve that into more of a data set type of construct for what your data product is. Again, you can evolve your overall mesh implementation as well as the data products themselves. Applying data as a product thinking to your data sets is easier said than done. While data mesh is a leading proponent of data as a product, companies not doing data mesh can also use the data as a product thinking. 
Adavinta started down this path before embarking on their data mesh journey. Of course, again, data as a product is far easier said than done. Zavi recommends starting by prior prioritizing which data you want to make available. You know, this is a process, not a switch to flip. So you can't just really try to go from <laughs> no data as a product to all of you know, applying product thinking to all of your data. You should figure out which data is important for each domain and at the broader organization level and start there. Data also really needs documentation, but most documentation is overly technical focused. Good documentation should explain how to use the data. You know, you need to make it easy to get to the data and also to get to the information about the data to make it usable. Not just, you know, how should this schema look, but what are we actually trying to convey and why, right? That documentation should tell a story. And, and that's where I think um, Zavi has talked about as well in the past of Adavinta has um, multiple notebooks for each data product, kind of a beginner and, and an advanced notebook so that people can really see what queries the data product creators would think people should use. For Adavinta's data mesh journey, they started with every data product being a single table or view. You know, data was originally centrally managed, so interoperability was already established. It wasn't really a problem that they had to tackle um, when moving from that centralized uh, structure into the distributed. But however, the documentation was very lacking and, and the general usability of the data just wasn't great. So you know, when they first started, they spent their first few quarters, though, just focusing on splitting their monolithic data production into separate pipelines for each domain instead of one giant cluster. The giant cluster was becoming a major bottleneck as changes were really hard and maintainability was getting harder every day. Now each domain essentially has one data product, but with multiple dimensions and tables. Each, each product is layered and each layer has different granularity and SLAs. Uh, Zavi does a great uh, job of explaining kind of what that means and, and why they went down that road. Zavi also mentioned some pitfalls to force data product evolution, basically getting it wrong as changes can be quite costly to backfill. You know, we talked about the data ev data product evolution from a consumer angle, but also if you have to go back and change the way that you've, you're sharing that data and you have to go back and compute, you know, months and months worth of data, that can be very, very uh, cost uh, intensive from a compute perspective, right? So it's something that that you still need to be aware of and you need to do. And, and in general, talking about data product evolution, to do it right, Version, versioning and deprecation plans are really, really key. A few other notable points, just kind of some one-off things. It's Javi believes all data products should be accessible via SQL, but definitely not just SQL. You should have uh, multiple different output ports on your data products. Uh, templates and blueprints for data products are incredibly useful and important. Again, talked about this a, a bit in in previous episodes, and you'll see this theme come up a bunch in future episodes as well of just reducing that friction and that toil work for everybody in your organization. And, and that's what templates and blueprints can really do. 
And then the tooling and practices to prevent application changes from breaking the data are just still pretty lacking. Adavinta uses data model reviews, but it's it's still not perfect. And so we really need to see some tooling emerge in this space. So I think you'll get a lot out of this episode and, and you'll enjoy the conversation as well. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. excited for today's episode. I've got uh, Xavier Gumara Rigol, uh, who's been uh, one of the people helping or leading the data mesh implementation at, at Aventa. Uh, he's put out a lot of really, really good content around data products, data as a product. Um, just there's a lot of things that will be linked in the show notes. Did a meetup with the data mesh learning uh, you know, meetup as well. So I would say just Check out all the stuff in the show notes as well as this episode. I think there's going to be a lot of really great content in there. Um, Xavier, if you don't mind, if you could uh, give a little bit of an intro to yourself and kind of what you've been working on and and how it um, translates into this thing we're going to talk about today was just data as a product and thinking like that in general. Thanks. Thanks, Scott, for the invitation and for the introduction. Um, so I've been working for the whole of my professional career. I've been working in the business intelligence or later in the data engineering world. So I've been, um, building tables and data marts and data warehouses for several organizations in Spain and then, um, across Europe, uh, to help people, uh, access clean data and, uh, and in order to, to be able to do their own analysis and dashboards and, and, and all that, right? So I've been in this field for about 10 years and I have seen the evolution from traditional and monolithical data warehouses uh, towards uh, a more distributed and, and federated approach. And, and this last uh, implementation is the one that we have been working on in, in Adevinta because of the complexity of the organization. Uh, we naturally and organically moved towards a, a data mesh um, without knowing about the word. So, so the time that the article from Zamak was uh, uh, published, um, we were already doing some efforts on this, but, but it's true that Zamak has put a lot of nice words uh, on the things that we were uh, already doing and the challenges that, that we had that made us um, do this change, right? Yeah, and I think that's a common through line is a lot of people were trying to do kind of a lot of these things in a piecemeal approach instead of a, a whole approach of, hey, we need to do all of this stuff kind of coordinated and move together and make sure that we don't get too far down one path because it's going to cause way more pain if we're, if we're uh, trying to just put all the ownership on the uh, domain teams without giving them the, the autonomy and the capability to manage 
their data if we're saying you have to you have to own the data but you don't own the actual production of the data <laughs> that's that becomes a challenge and the more that you federate you have to think about the governance and in, in a holistic approach so um yeah no I, I and i think that's great um so you wanted to talk about data as a product this is something where i see a lot of people having challenges to really figure out understand what this really means and what is the mindset shift and you know within data mesh data product means something very specific too and versus the industry so i'm seeing a lot of people come up with a specific word for their data products within data mesh you know kind of wrapping in data as a product and these domain data products or data mesh data products or whatever you want to call them um I think this is a really important topic, but like, where, where would you want to start if, if someone were to say, I'm new to this concept, how would you kind of describe a little bit about data as a product? And then we can kind of jump from there. I think that one of the important distinctions to, to start with, and, and I, one of the articles I have written is, it relates to that, right? Which is the difference between data as a product and a data product. Um, in the general sense or in the general uh, industry, right? So uh, we used to say that a data product is a product that uses data to pursue its goal, right? To, to, to bring the benefit to the user at the end. So uh, here, for example, a recommender system, a search algorithm, um, um, uh, a data warehouse, an experimentation platform, these are considered data products, right? But uh, the difference between these data products and treating data as a product is that it's very different, right? So at the end, uh, treating data as a product, it means applying product thinking into your data sets, right? So here we are not talking about uh, a recommender system or or an experimentation platform or a data warehouse. We are talking about um, how do you apply a product thinking to, uh, to your data sets. And and I think that here is the, the, the key difference and, and the key uh, um, opportunity because in, in our case or how we have uh, seen uh, and evolved through this is like this principle from data mesh, you can apply it everywhere. It's, it's not a, you can have um, a centralized approach to your data warehouse or to your data lake or your data lake house implementation. You could have a more federated approach, right? But in in any of these cases, the data as a product principle can be applied, and and for us, we we started thinking uh, with this product mentality on data. We started this when we had a complete centralized approach, and and we had a complete um, centralization of our data warehouse. And the problem that we've had at that time was that uh, people were not find, finding the data that they were looking for or that they needed because uh, the data was not discoverable, it was not um, well explained or well defined. They, they couldn't find examples about the data that they were uh, using, right? So there, there was like a, bit, a, little bit, a little bit of a mess and, and we had a very capable and uh, excellent team of data engineers building um, consolidated data, no? consolidated tables, uh, dashboards, reporting, but then um, this was not made uh, accessible 
to the rest of the, of the organization um, because it lacked documentation, it lacked interoperability, it lacked all these qualities that uh, we uh, we apply to products. And in this case, no, we apply to products that are just data. So yeah, in, in our case, it's, it's, a, it's a principle that we applied regardless of the domain ownership and the, the split of the, the different domains in uh, or the split of the ownership of the different domains in different teams, etc. etc. And and I think it's interesting because uh, it's something that you can take away from, from data mesh. You can take one principle and apply it to to your day to day and and it, it can work also. Yeah and, and I do think if I'd, I'd like to click into as well the idea of um, how you do this mindset shift. But a lot of what you touched on there, it, I think is really important for, for people to think about is when you think about a product, you have to think about its usage. You don't think about what, you know, it's not just that I created the thing that I was supposed to create and it is good. So therefore I'm done. It's like, okay, but your, your version of done is when consumers are happy. It's not that you, you created this data set and it's this perfect data set and no one can use it because no one can understand it, right? Like it's about what is that, that usage pattern? So um, if you were talking to somebody that's pretty early in their journey, what learnings have you had along the way of, of taking uh, this approach and really thinking through it? What, like, what would you say is kind of the early things that you want to get out of or that you want to make sure that you, you start to do early? Is that, that it's the documentation or the findability or that you know, a lot of people get pretty concerned about interoperability and doing that you know, right out of the gate? And I kind of say, eh, you can kind of evolve your data sets and that as you figure out what you're doing with interoperability. But I don't know if that's best practice. I don't know if that's how you think that it's it's a good approach. So like, if somebody came to you and said, how do we evolve this as, as an organization and how do I personally think about it? What, what would you say? Yeah, so let's think, so I would say like, let's think about the, the source data that you want to make made available um, to the analysts or to the community, right? So we, what is the most important source data that, that you have in your product, in your organization, that is, uh, it will really be like a game changer if you uh, make this available for analysts or in a dashboard or in a notebook or, or whatever, right? Um, so in somehow what I'm saying, right, is like you need to prioritize what, what data sources do you want to make available in, in kind of a clean way and uh, in a, a ready for analytics, right? So once you have identified that, you can have a team uh, of engineers and, and maybe some data analysts or a data product owner, right, uh, or someone that has this, uh, this role um, to work on what is the, the data model that you want to make available for to your analysts, because probably this uh, source uh, data source has, um, yeah, it will it will have some attributes, it will have some nested fields, it will have information that is not relevant for analytics, um, it will have uh, 
key values, right, that, that are not uh, understandable by, by someone looking at it and, and you need to look at the documentation of the source system, et cetera, et cetera, right? So uh, there is this work of uh, a data modeler uh, or a data engineer that is able to um, see and understand the data that it's, it's coming from this source system and then try to model something uh, like a table, uh, let's say like a traditional uh, database uh, table no, where every row is kind of an observation and then in the columns you have uh, specified what are the attribute, attributes of that observation. So in this sense, um, what you are doing is trying to uh, put in an analytics-readable format the data that you have from this uh, source system. And this is, uh, traditionally, this, is, this has been something that the, the people working in, in BI, uh, the BI field, is very used to, uh, to do. No? So modeling all these data warehouse tables, uh, data marts, in, like, uh, knowing what are the dimensions of your data, what are the metrics, um, uh, do you have uh, metrics that are uh, non-aggregable or semi-additive or these type of things, right? So this is something that, like a profile uh, that comes from the BI world or a data modeler, is is very uh, a, well. It's it's easy for them uh, to do this type of work, right? So this would be the first stage. Uh, stage you need to also consider uh, putting uh, clear names and good names into your columns uh, and to your tables, right? Um, and then it would be the, the the moment where you implement the the pipeline or the yeah, the ETL to uh, go from the source uh, data into this uh, model, right? So here is where you clean, maybe you filter some uh, rows, maybe you uh, discard some columns, uh, you transform some of the fields, you enrich, right? So at the end, you have a, a, a data set um, that, that is your product, right? So this table is your product that you want to offer. Um, traditionally, you would stop here, right? But if you have the mentality of treating data as a product, what you need to do is go a, uh, a step further. And what you need to do is write documentation for that data set, uh, explain to the people how they can use the data into the data set, and you have to do all this in a, in a way that is uh, reproducible, right? So So that you can... Uh, put this in your uh, knowledge systems of the of your organization, right? Your data catalog or your wiki or or your intranet or whatever, right? So that people uh, can um, start there to see which data do we have in the organization, and then from there uh, you will say, okay, uh, this data about uh, user behavior uh, in 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 our product is in this table, and then I can access this table uh, using this, um, this specific tool, et cetera, et cetera, right? So for me, this would be the, the, the steps I, I would follow and uh, always making sure that your data is accessible via the SQL language. And, and we have seen this as a major benefit of our data products. Um, we are very tempted to put data in in S3 or no in the case that we are using AWS or in a in a bucket and then uh, yeah the data is there but the 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 analysts uh, profiles will have a, a very hard time 
accessing, accessing this data because they will need to create uh, spawn notebooks or this type of th uh, things, right? So if we can put all the data in SQL, for us, this has been uh, like a good learning and something that has really uh, changed the, the, the way that data is uh, accessed. Yeah, and, and um, one thing I wanted to, to, to talk about just for a quick second was you said need documentation and an explanation of how the data is to be used or what the data is. So I think that's an important differentiation to say that documentation is kind of what is it and then you're also saying that there needs to be a, a further step to say, how can you use this? And that this was in like your first, um, your first blog post that you put on Medium about, you know, data mesh and, and things was you even went further and you like gave people sample notebooks and you did s certain things with that. Um, so like, how have you found that to work and how have you found, um, talking to data owners and getting them to actually be on board with that. Like, you know, those are two di very different things, but as that, did you try to do it before where you didn't have those kind of explanations and it just didn't, people weren't using it or, and then like, how do you get people to actually do that and be on board with that? This is, is valuable to do. I think that it, it became obvious the, the moment that we had a lot of questions regarding um, a specific attributes in in a data set, right? So the moment that you have maybe a, a, a little bit of a complex metric where where during this uh, ETL process, right? So you aggregate and reach and, and you do some transformations here and there, people uh, will not um, will not have enough with having that calculation and, and with that number. They, they really want to know how this has been calculated. And, and why is, for this observation, we have this specific number, right? So for us, it was a matter of, okay, uh, we are getting too many requests on Slack about this specific data set. We need to improve this because we don't want to be answering these questions. And, and it's like the same question was appearing every other week, you know? So um, in the team, we retrospected on this and we said, okay, we need to uh, change this and we need to put... Um, example SQL queries or example notebooks on uh, that so that people is a self they can do it um, on their own right so it's a, a self uh, thought uh, uh, on, on what does it mean uh, this number in this specific attribute and and how they can replicate this number from source data for example right so uh, it was more of a internal realization in the team that we needed to do that than a request from from our uh, stakeholders, right? And and from an ownership perspective, uh, it was received super positive, like a super positively, because uh, they were seeing the benefit of this, and and in the in the sense of a reduced amount of requests uh, to the team that that we're not adding any value, no? So, um, uh, so at the end, it's put it in the documentation so that we don't get a lot of answers, uh, a lot of uh, questions in, in, in a Slack about, uh, about this. And one, one last thing on, on this, I think that um, it's important also for the team building the data product 
to have this this extra mile, no? Like to to be conscious about this extra mile, because um, usually, or how I have worked in 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 the past, right? Is like okay, the data engineers they they produce the table and they stop the work when the table is in production, right? But in our in our case, um, what we have put extra effort on putting. Um, all the requirements uh, of the data product, including the documentation, including the example queries, including the example notebooks, into the uh, acceptance criteria of our, of our uh, tickets, no? of our user stories. So this way, um, we, we, the engineers uh, couldn't close a task or a story uh, until there is this documentation or uh, unless this, there is documentation published and made available. Um, for the user. So this has also uh, helped embracing this culture of uh, data sets as products. Yeah, that and, and uh, literally I, I was planning on asking this anyway, and you just said something um, at the very end of data sets as products. How do you think about an actual data product within Data Mesh. What what is that encapsulation? Because um, you also talked about ETL earlier, and Jamak has talked about you know ETL. If you do the extract and the transform, is within the data product that you have an actual code, so that you're not having pipelines as first class citizens. That the the ETL is within the product, and it's not that the um, that the moving of the data into the data product before it gets calculated and changed is a, um, it's only the moving of the data. It's not the transformation. And so then you have the raw data as well inside the data product and all sorts of things. But like, so how do you think about both of those aspects of, are you comfortable with having that pipeline as a first class concern versus that, that it's all encapsulated inside a data product? And do you think about data products as being a single table or multiple tables or, you know, I think a lot of people are saying both, right? It, it, like <laughs> a table can be a data product, but are, is that the way most of them are at, 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 at Avinto or, or do you think that that's the right way to approach it as well? Yeah, so, well, it's a good, a good question. And also we have gone through a journey, a journey on that, right? So... <laughs> Uh, I, I can say that, so let me explain how we treated data as a product at the beginning and where we are at, uh, right? So at the beginning, every, every table for us was a data product in the sense that it needed to have its own documentation. Um, we should solve no, the, the interoperability, the addressability, the all the, the, the attributes of, a, of a, a data product, right? right? Um, and this, for us, was the more, most important thing because it's the, the user-facing uh, product, right? So the product that you offer to your stakeholders. Um, the thing is that when it comes to the code, the pipeline, and the runtime, or like where does this, uh, the, the pipeline to create this data product, where does it uh, run, right? We have we had kind of a centralized uh, approach. So we we come from one team um, being responsible for I don't know uh, thirty data products, thirty tables. 
you know, like that are being created by more than 50 pipelines. And um, three years ago, they were all in a single repository and running on a single uh, Kubernetes cluster, right? So in that sense, um, I think that we don't uh, fulfill the definition of data product in data mesh uh, because we have mixed domain, we had mixed domains on that, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But we fulfill the the part of each data uh, table uh, being documented and accessible and do- with documentation uh, and examples, etc., uh, etc. Et right? So um, that's our like the initial couple of quarters that where we started with uh, with this project. Right? Then uh, we saw that we needed to uh, split the monolith. And, and this is a sentence that has been used a lot uh, in the team, right? So um, we there are well, there were a couple of reasons why we needed to split the the more the, the infrastructure part, right? So where the pipelines run, and uh, not having a single repository for all the, the pipelines that we were uh, implementing. Um, one of like, the first reason is maintainability and and the, the ability to um, uh, uh, change things, right? So we were starting to find challenges because we we had to uh, you know like uh, modify a, a very big thing, which is very uh, very hard uh, no to to modify. And the the second challenge was that uh, with this approach. Uh, we were becoming a bottleneck, like the team of data engineers were becoming a bottleneck, and there was there was no way that we could hand over uh, domain specific pipelines to uh, the domain owners or the people that were responsible for that domain. No, because in at that time, as I said in the beginning, we were kind of uh, in a centralized uh, approach. No, but when we heard about uh, data mesh, we said, "Oh, okay, maybe yes, we need to uh, give." The, the ownership to the domains and then we will uh, be happier in our team because we will not have this uh, big mess of uh, pipelines and uh, monolithic architecture, right? So these reasons made us uh, make some conscious decisions about splitting, splitting the pipelines in uh, different repositories and uh, having each domain uh, owning their own uh, runtime environment, uh, which is equivalent to their own uh, Kubernetes cluster. Okay, so now um, the situation is that we have uh, several Kubernetes clusters, one one per each domain, and we have several repositories, one uh, for each domain or one or two for each domain. Um, and the thing is that for the analyst, they they, they work the same, right? So they access the data in the same way. So um, they access the same tables, but the only difference is that now some tables are maintained by other people and we have been able to transparently for the data analyst, no, doing the handover to the domain team uh, in a transparent way. Um, and we are very happy of the result because uh, we have autonomous domains that... that uh, that buys also this uh, um, the, the principles of, of data mesh, specifically the, the treating the data as a product, right? So so they continue with our governance and with our guidance. They continue to treat this, their data as a product, and but they are also now autonomous in 
um, modifying their uh, data products uh, on their own because it's easier for them because we have isolated the runtime and we have isolated the where the pipeline the code no, is um, stored. But it took us one year or a year and a half to to do this, right? So, and and still we uh, it's it's uh, not finished. Um, but uh, yeah, um, for us, this is our journey, journey and, and what worked for us. And, and as I said, no, we come from a centralized approach for almost everything you can think of in, in when creating data sets uh, in, in for analytics. Yeah, and, and I wanted to highlight a couple of things that you, you talked about there. One is, I think within data mesh one people or one thing people are getting really stuck on is that they think they see the what should be their eventuality as what they have to do up front so exactly what you've talked about of this is a journey so oh no the stuff uh you know you you were having data data that was treated as a product even if you weren't doing data products as in the data mesh definition. Oh no, who cares, right? Like Exactly, <laughs> yeah, yeah. If, if you got to a place where, and that was all that needed to happen and it worked, who cares? Stop there, right? Like <laughs> you don't yeah. have to do it for the sake of being like, I need to hit this, this check mark because then I can call it a data mesh versus like what's working. No, and another topic on this that I, uh, I wanted to say also is like, um, no, initially we said that uh, each uh, table is a data product. Now we could consider that every domain has a single data product because it's a single repository, a single runtime environment. But this data product is, um, well, it has several tables on it, right? It's not that we have strictly uh, said that needs to be, needs, this needs to be like this. Right, um, but uh, but yeah, you could say that we've kind of made this evolution, right? And now uh, the domain teams uh, they usually have two, three tables that they own, uh, but all of them are uh, like the code to generate those tables and the the, the, the pipelines. They are all um, in the same repository and they are all run in the same Kubernetes cluster. So at least we have isolated things by domain and this is what has worked for us right i don't know if it's uh, uh it should be like more granular right but this is where we are at and and how it works uh for us well what if it meets your needs it meets your needs right exactly. like, don't don't do extra work if you don't need it um uh so yeah so you were talking we talked a little bit about the um what is a, a data product definition? So one question I would have around this, and you know, we can go further into this, but if I've got multiple tables or if I've got multiple whatever, um, are they having the same SLA? Does everything have the same SLA? Or like, how do you communicate SLAs around like something has a different quality level or something has a different, um, you know, kind of freshness level or whatever. Can you put that all into the same data product and that the consumers understand it? Like, do you have a different documentation set and a different 
um, kind of sample notebook and things for each table and it's totally different from each other? Or like, just how are you approaching that? Uh, good point because we, yeah, we treat them uh, differently. So we work in a layered architecture for, for data sets. And I think this is explained in one of the articles that we have um, written, right? And each layer, let's say that the data sets in each layer, they have similar SLAs and, and similar uh, example notebooks and, and queries and the like, because uh, at the end, it's a matter of um, the granularity. Uh, uh, so the level of granularity marks the freshness, the, the SLA, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Let me, let me explain. So, uh, for example, we have some data that, that arrives uh, in real time or that we can consume in, in real time, right? And, and usually this data, apart from having it in real time, what we do is also uh, store it in, um, in S3 in, in a materialized way so that it, it's accessible uh, for the foreseeable future, right? Um, in, a, in a cold storage, let's say, right? So, uh, of course, this data... Uh, the freshness of this this data is is more or less hourly, right? So so you can access this data uh, like every like now I can access the data from uh, one hour one hour ago, and and this is already the first uh, type of data product more or less, right? So where where there is documentation about this uh, data set, um, it's accessible via SQL in the tool of choice of the analyst. It's documented. And it's also, uh, well, you can browse a, a notebook with the examples um, specifically for this, uh, for this data set, right? And more or less every domain has a similar data set where they just, uh, the data that is being generated in real time, it gets stored into um, uh, a system where it can be accessed in a more uh, in, in a batch uh, way, right? Or uh, or it's accessible for uh, longer longer periods of time, right? So usually data in, in this uh, in this form is, is is kind of a store for eighteen months and 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 the like, right? So um, these these tables or these uh, data sets as products, they have similar qualities that uh, uh, make us have similar documentation and similar examples when it comes to notebooks, etc. Then we have uh, some aggregations on top of this data uh, that still are quite granular, no? like for example, aggregations at user level uh, in order to produce uh, segments or uh, like user segmentation, etc. So these, these, uh, these data sets, for example, are of another type they consume this, this raw data that we have explained before, but we don't need the same SLA for this because, um, at least in our business, the user does not change a segment um, every hour, right? So, uh, so this is something that, um, that can be executed on a daily basis, for example, or even in, on a weekly basis, right? So uh, this data set, they will have uh, a different SLA and they will uh, the example notebooks, for example, will be very specific for for the purpose that you are going to use this. No, so in the case of user segmentation, for the purpose of segmentation, maybe we have a notebook that is specific uh, for that. No, or um, uh, I'm thinking also cohorting and and this type of analysis 
uh, that, that are very specific. So this is, this is another type of, uh, of data sets with its own, its own uh, SLA and examples. And then the final one, the last one, uh, is where uh, we store the aggregations. So, uh, for example, uh, a table to store how many active users or sessions or uh, leads we've had uh, the day before or the month before or the last 28 days, et cetera, et cetera. And this is another type of uh, data product um, where we uh, apply different SLA because it's also calculated on a daily basis, uh, usually. Um, the, here, for example, there is one, one thing that is very important because all these metrics at the end, they are uh, generated uh, to be consumed for, by analysts on, on, with SQL, etc., but also for uh, visualization purposes. So for uh, the, the dashboards are fed by um, these metrics, right? So it's important uh, that we uh, comply with the, the SLA of, uh, of the, the dashboards uh, itself, right? So usually is um, we need to have the data at 8 a.m. in the morning, right? So these uh, data products, we have a strong SLA on, on this, which is the, the processing needs to have uh, finished by uh, 8 a.m. Uh, every day uh, for this metric calculation. And then when it comes to uh, examples and, and, and notebooks, etc., they are of a different group of uh, different type of data sets. So again, different type of uh, documentation and examples. Okay, that's, that's really, uh, really, really helpful for kind of understanding how, how you've looked at that. Um, there were three things that I wanted to click into as well. Um, and so I would like you to choose which one you want to go into first. One is the interoperability question. So when you think about data products, it, you have to think about not just the data product living in and of itself, but that there's also kind of a higher level product of your general data, right? Like that your analytics experience, your data mesh experience is itself a product. The platform is a product. And so how do you combine data across that? The second one would be, um, you mentioned uh, SQL only or SQL only. H how are you working with your data scientists that may want it to be in other formats? Or are you saying that there's only, uh, that every data product needs to have um, SQL, but not um, that that's the only way to do that? And um, then the third one is just the general concept of, evolution of a data product, right? One of the things that I've seen a lot with people who want to come from or who come from the data world warehouse world is they're used to saying, okay, this report should never change. So now that there's like an agreement that you're going to serve data in a uh, in a good way, in a way that's actually much more usable and, and things than the past, they're also thinking that the way that that data is going to be served will never change because you've said this is a product and it's like, well, the products change. So how do you manage that evolution from the producer and the consumer side? So again, it was the interoperability, the SQL only and data product evolution. So which, which would you like to 
uh, jump into first? Which one's most interesting? We can we can do it in order. It's fine. Um, so for the interoperability, it's, um, I think it the the special thing about this uh, in our setup is that we come from this uh, centralized no to this uh, decentralized of of uh, or federated uh, approach, and it's uh, it's true that it's true that when you have a centralized approach, the interoperability is very easy because you kind of di- dictate how things should be named and um, no and and. Uh, and and uh, what what are the things that you need to have in the doc- in the documentation, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, right. So, uh, but of course we have been uh, decentralizing our approach. So uh, how we have solved this is that uh, we have some working agreements within all the domains, right? And and we have some some things that uh, at the beginning we have. Uh, put on the table because we were the ones that we started with this in the organization, right? So we put this on the table and then we let the domain teams that were starting to take ownership of their own data sets and their own data products to um, contribute, to amend or to add things there, right? And for example, um, so in, in this situation, we uh, let's say that we already come from like with a good base for inter- interoperability. And, and one example of, of uh, these working agreements or, or these uh, rules is that if you have an ID that represents an entity, how we call this ID in the different domains, it should be the same, right? So um, if I, uh, I need to represent... Uh, so if I own the user's domain um, and I have an ID of the users, uh, I would call this uh, user underscore ID. No? Like the attribute will be uh, user underscore ID. But if any other domain needs to reference a user, uh, like a, via foreign key or something like this, we need to agree that this foreign key should also be named user underscore ID. Right. So um, this is something that we have managed uh, to do by by putting some uh, a governance council within the different domains, right? So we have people from the different domains discussing these aspects and uh, agreeing on that. Uh, but I have to say that most of the things or the results come from a good initial proposal from from our team that has managed to. Uh, to the, or that did, did this for longer, no? And, and we knew that this was important by the, the users, the consumers uh, of the data. How then do you do the, the kind of cross data product queries where you might have that interoperability required? Is it that the data products themselves that you've worked with those teams to put it into the table so the user doesn't have to kind of product hop where they have to <laughs> grab data from multiple data products at the same time or pull all the data into their own like little uh, repository and, and combine yeah. it that way? Or So if you are consuming the data as an analyst, right, you, um, like the same access uh, roles, let's say, allows you uh, to query or to access all the data sets in the organization, right? Or all the data sets where you have access uh, because uh, you might not have access to everything, right? 
uh, because of your role or, or whatever. Um, so in this sense, uh, we have like single uh, username and password that allows you to uh, query any data set in which you might have applied for access or that you have been uh, granted access to. So in your uh, SQL client or in your notebook, you could join these data sets from different domains uh, and you, would, you wouldn't notice, you know, like uh, this is a normal and a, and a usual uh, uh, requirement or, or thing that, that, that analysts uh, would do in their day-to-day. And, and this is for the consumers. So for the producers of the data, so if I produce something that, that where I have the, the user ID, right? So uh, we would speak together uh, and, uh, with the, this council in order to uh, review the proposal, right? So the, pro the proposal of the data model would be reviewed uh, by, by several people in this council and then um, made amendments and suggest how to better approach uh, that, right? So in this sense, we we make sure that if not 100%, like the high majority of attributes uh, are interoperable between uh, the different domains. So if, if an analyst were writing a query that they, uh, to combine the data across two domains, would they just do kind of uh, a simple join across or? Yep. Okay. I didn't know if there was any extra things that they had to do or, or anything like that. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so SQL only, um, I've heard this said from, I, I think this is for companies of a certain size or companies doing certain specific things. I think certain, you know, some data scientists will be very, very frustrated with <laughs> SQL yeah. only. No, because we, we are not SQL, is, is SQL only, sorry. Uh, um, so like we try that every data set is, uh, is, it also has, it's, uh, uh, it's accessible. No, it's, it, so we all, we try to have like every data set accessible via SQL, but, uh, our source of truth is S3. So you can access programmatically any, um, every data set using your, uh, programming language of, uh, of choice. And as a matter of fact, some uh, teams are building or are using these uh, these data sets to to train, like to do some kind of offline training of uh, their uh, machine learning models, for example. Okay, yeah, I, I, it's it's something where um, there are uh, some people out there saying, yeah, you can just get away with with SQL only, and it's like, eh. no, no, yeah, no. Um, but, but I think then you might have a much less complicated data mesh setup. And so again, like kind of what you said earlier of, or what, what we both said of like, if you don't need to do it, don't do it. So like, you don't need to, to set up this stuff for super complicated machine learning stuff. If nobody's going to be doing machine learning, maybe you want to have it around where you start to say, we're going to do it in, uh, you know, 12 months. And so we're storing the data so we can do it, but yeah, um, the thing is that we insist on this because actually we come from uh, the other way around, right? So we, we when we started producing the data sets, we were storing the data in S3 and we leave it there, you know, like, um, and then the analyst was was like, I, I don't know how to access this, you know? Uh, the data scientists were very happy 
but of course, the data um, the analysts were were looking for uh, something more um, SQL uh, based, right? So uh, we insist on the fact of providing data in in SQL, but not only SQL, uh, because uh, for some type of users, it's um, super important. Yeah. Uh, but not only in this in this case, not only doesn't mean NoSQL necessarily. Exactly. <laughs> um, so uh, the the last thing, which I think is is a great topic to kind of wrap up on, is the the concept of data product evolution, and that I think everything in data mesh. I'm starting to to really see the people who have gotten moving with data mesh understand that what got us here won't get us there is kind of the mantra every quarter, right? It's, hey, we're trying to evolve towards a, a, not an end state, right? We're trying to evolve to continue to address our challenges. So what are the challenges you're seeing? And let's, let's continue to, to move that forward. How have you found that specifically with the concept of data as a product and evolving your data products, but also evolving the platform, evolving the capabilities and, and all of that. Yeah, I think it's, it's an interesting topic and uh, because we have had all sorts of problems around uh, data sets evolution. Um, and I agree with the fact that if you can model your data, like the first time that you model your data, it's very important that you do you do it right because modifying it it's super costly uh at least with the tools that we have at hand uh today or uh or or from our experience right uh, why i'm saying that because in our case so when when we have a so i know for example in cases and this is uh, from previous experience right so um People building data warehouses that they were uh, creating a, a a table and they 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 made a typo on the column on on the name of the column, right? And and that typo stayed there for years because it was so painful to uh, to to alter uh, the 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 table and it, it was not possible and and we they wanted to keep the column in that order and not having to drop the column and create one at the end because that would be very painful, right? So. Um, so people is is keeping typos in column names because uh, evolving uh, all this is is very uh, complicated, right? But um, this was many years ago, and now uh, in our situation, uh, what we uh, have encountered, for example, is that uh, if you want to add a new attribute in in a data set in a data uh, product, it's no big deal, right? So you can add it. Um, uh, you can decide if you want historical data being backfilled or recalculated, right? But from now on, you will have this data. The problem is more on what happens if we need to modify a definition uh, or we need to change the way that we enrich a field, you know, like, and, and all this. And also, like, especially if you want to uh, recalculate in the past. So uh, for us, we haven't had uh, any other better idea or, or way to do it and and how it's being done today is that um, if we need to evolve a data set what we do is we uh, we generate a new version of it and usually this is a partition in our path of uh, this data set right so every data set has a version and we have 
version 1, version 2, version 3, etc. Right? So uh, if you properly document what do you have in each version, uh, and if you properly set uh, sunsetting plans or deprecation plans for old versions, right? Um, it's something that can work and you could evolve your infrastructure. Um, of course, this is not perfect because the moment that you start with version 2, people would like also to have the historical data recalculated the same way that you have calculated the, the incoming data, right? So uh, I have a, a, a newly uh, calculated, uh, like a, a new definition uh, or a changed definition, but I want to see how this was in the past, right? So we have been uh, having to do a lot of what we call backfills or recalculations, right? So uh, this is something that we are trying to uh, avoid as much as much as possible. Uh, but when uh, we need to do it, then uh, we usually spawn a new cluster that it keeps uh, backfilling or recalculating the data uh, uh, from the past, and and it's costly. And and we but we also uh, provide uh, to the requester. Uh, how much this change has cost them. You know, like um, uh, you want this change of the definition and you want to have this definition changed by the whole of uh, 2021. Okay, this is how much it's going to cost. Do you really need this, right? Uh, and and this type of stuff. Um, but it, it has worked so far, right? So people is more conscious about this. People is more conscious about uh, these things uh, costing money. And um, yeah, uh, usually uh, we get less of and less of this. But but I I would say as a general idea or a main takeaway, like versioning your data sets or putting like uh, this is data set ABC version one uh, helps with keeping the uh, keeping them uh, fresh and and being able to evolve as uh, needs change. Right, so. The same way that you that you consider a data set as a product, you you have to consider all its evolutions of the of the data set, no? as part of the product. Well, and and it gets really complicated when you think about versioning the structure of the data set, which is kind of what you're talking about, and then versioning also the data within the data product, where you say you know, the freshness says that this has been updated within the last hour or that, the you know, like that kind of versioning too gets gets very complicated. And how, like, I think a good last question is is one that's been a through line for every single uh, conversation, I think, which is when you're working with the domains, you know, you are going to have changes upstream that may change the downstream. Like, how do you work with those domains or what tooling or what what's your your secret sauce to make it so that they can evolve their application model without breaking the data model <laughs> yeah i think that having good governance in place it's it's uh, mandatory and if you can um have some kind of tooling to to govern uh this right even better uh, so now we are relying a lot on on um, 
a council, no, or a group of people that that meet and discuss these type of things. But if this somehow we could work on making this more automatic, um, no, and uh, this would be uh, very helpful uh, for us. And and we also uh, work a lot on making the platform a product, right? So um, the platform that we uh, the data platform, the, the platform that we use to, to build uh, data sets. Uh, so if you think about this platform also about uh, as a product, you will make all these considerations and you will, ma- you will take all these uh, needs from the domain uh, into account, right? So for example, now uh, we just recently we have built uh, or improved uh, some um, monitoring capabilities in, in our data platform, right? So like every domain, if they update the uh, to the latest version, the tooling to the data, to the latest version, they will all be on the same version of uh, monitoring tooling, right? So this helps us a lot standardize on the ways of working and providing support, etc., eh, etc. Et right? So even uh, for example, we have some kind of um, templates. Uh, like repository templates uh, where you can choose what is the type of data set that that uh, you are going to create, right? So it, it is a metrics table or it is uh, an exploratory or like a super granular uh, data set, no? So if you create a metrics table, then you, you will request you some things that, uh, that uh, and then you will have your uh, repository uh, uh, ready to use uh, with the, specifics of uh, that type of uh, data set no and this helps uh, standardize and have like a cross domain vision um, and 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 mainly that we we all evolve uh, no and and we all um, progress and make progress at the same pace or at the same time uh, so that no no one lags behind or forks into a, something different, etc., uh, etc. Et yeah, we're, we're we're doing this all together, templates so that, and and blueprints, so that way people don't have to create things from scratch themselves. You know, like that there are safety nets. But yes, vendors, you hear me? Put together some tooling on this. Put together some tooling to make it so that people can evolve their applications and their application schema models to, but not break their domain models, not break what they're sharing from data and that people can understand what are my changes going to impact downstream. <laughs> that's been that's been something I'm, I'm <laughs> more and more passionate about. Um, so, Javier, uh, this has been super, super great. Uh, really appreciate it. Uh, where can people find you and, and what do you want people reaching out to you about? So I'm available on LinkedIn and uh, Twitter. So we will share the the addresses, and yeah, I'm happy to to be reached out um, via the, those channels. Okay, yeah, and I'll, I'll obviously drop those in the show notes, and then um, as well drop links to uh, your great uh, amount of of very useful content. I, I think probably on a weekly basis, I, I point people to your original post on uh, on data products and kind of what what. Uh, you and Adavinta have been doing on that side. So thank you so much, Xavier, and thank you, everybody. I'd again like to thank my guest today, Javier Gumaro Rigol, 
who's been helping to lead Adventa's data mesh implementation as the area manager for experimentation and analytics enablement. As previously mentioned, there's a lot of content that Xavier has been a part of or has put out. So there's links to three different medium articles as well as the meetup that he and uh, Sandra Rial from Adventa had put together. So please do check those out as well. Thank you. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left Datastax, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started, so give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information-as-a-service firm. Our offerings are affordable, and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read kind of, throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, you know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what, what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well. And have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music.